as I look even at the ranch and I think about my position there in, in leadership, I think that growing the ranch numerically is the easy part. I think that growing spiritually deeper, nothing comes easy to do that. And when I think of, I'm 42, I'm thinking, okay, sometime in the next 20 years, if, if should the Lord tarry, I'll be handing off my leadership role to someone else. And what am I handing off? Am I going to hand off a ranch that's, that's deeper in its heart and hunger for the Lord, the culture there? Numerically, no problem. Deeper heart and hunger for the Lord, now that requires discipline. That requires character. That requires a, a, a lot. It requires a, a work of God that's, that's so powerful. And so I'm thinking of this passing off the heritage. How many of you are concerned about passing on a, a spiritual heritage to your children? You want to see them do well. You want to see them love God with all their heart. You want to see them hunger and thirst for righteousness. And how many of you know that there is a, another plan that somebody has for your children. Yeah, another plan. We're going to look in, in Deuteronomy here in a minute, <clears throat> but I want you to have that, that reference of this hunger for and, and this desire for your, your children because I want to pass on a biblical Christianity. As Pastor Matt talked about, uh, even a different type of Christianity now that... that where the Bible is, is suspect. I was having breakfast with a, a, pa, uh, a camp director <coughs> who was a Lutheran seminary graduate, and he was telling me how he was, he was the director of a Methodist camp, and I was trying to put this Lutheran seminary, Methodist, so I said, well, well how, how do you combine all the doctrines into something? Oh, well, you know, <coughs> the Bible's not really meant to be taken that way anyway. Uh, they're, they're very easily combinable. And he said, you can't take the Bible literally. And I said, well, like, I'm starting to get suspect on him now. I'm a little bit cynical. You might find that out. I said, well, what do you mean you can't take the Bible literally? Well, you know, the whole Genesis part. I mean, science has proven that's not, not true. And then Paul's letters, I mean, he, if you took him literally, uh, you couldn't have women pastors. And, and, and he went on. And I was like, okay, so we're throwing out Genesis and we're throwing out Paul. What do we have left? Um, and I began to wonder, and and I thought, goodness, this is our Christian camp leader. Now, he's no longer with the camp, that, and, and thankfully they have a, a Bible-believing, God-fearing man in there, but he's a seminary graduate. And so we got this different version of Christianity that's kind of morphing in, too. And so our world culture currently dominated by Western pop culture right now, is dying to get its tentacles into your children and into my children. It's like, a, it's like an ooze that's trying to encompass them and <clears throat> like a slimy pit where they're trying to, and, and it's trying to get it itself to them. It's like a jellyfish with tentacles that lightly sting and paralyze until you don't even know it but you, you've been had, you've been caught, and your whole value system has been transformed by this. It's like a, a bug zapper. You know the light with the goes <clears throat> like that? And 
the flies and the bugs and the mosquitoes, and they just love them. It's so beautiful. And, and they're just mesmerized as they follow along. That's what this culture, this pop, Western pop culture is. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some aspects of every culture that are, are noble and even uh, commendable. I think there's some aspects of our culture with an emphasis on productivity, for example. And so we have things like computers and technology that might bend us toward productivity. Well, no one's going to argue against that. And so I don't want you to take what I'm saying about pop culture uh, that there is nothing good that is in pop culture. But what we're going to talk about are some of the values that, um, that pop culture does have that are contrary to the Word of God. So now, with that, turn to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4. So the book of Deuteronomy, this is the second time that the law w- has, has been given and it really expounded upon. And somehow that's worked into the, the name of, of Deuteronomy, the second law, or, but it's not really the second law, it's the second time it was, was given to them. The first time, of course, at Mount Sinai, when Moses came down and, and found them worshiping the golden calf. And so we see right away the tendency, if we look at Israel and we kind of try not to distance ourselves too far from her, but try to see some of her issues and how they relate to us today, we see Israel making a golden calf, an idol, and mixing it into some kind of Jehovah worship, making a little brew here, a little worship brew, and, and seeing how that would fly. Well, it didn't fly very well with God, and of course Moses came off the, the mountain very upset, breaking the Ten Commandments, uh, written, and, and then uh, having to have it redone. But um, So <clears throat> in Deuteronomy, though, we find the Israelites about two months prior to crossing the Jordan to go into the land of Canaan. And so now they're getting the law the second time, and this, these are the kids of, of the, the first batch. These are ones who, who need a lot of help, and they need a lot of um, encouragement. And so Moses is giving them a, a good round of, of encouragement before they cross that, that Jordan River into the land of Canaan. There's going to be lots of warnings in Deuteronomy, particularly about idol worship, which they were prone to. There's going to be a lot of consequences given for, for if they don't follow the law and some blessings given that if they will be obedient, now remember, they're in the plains of Moab, so they're on the east side of the Jordan, and they're, they're on the pla- in the plains of Moab. And in this plain of Moab, here's a little background to, to what happened, just you know, previous to this here. Previous, there was a, a great chieftain in, in Moab, and his name was Balak. And Balak was worried because he saw what the Israelites were doing to some of the, the area leaders. And Balak thought, i got to get some help here. And so Balak called Balaam, the prophet, and he said to him, I, I want to pay you to curse this nation of Israel. And so Balaam said, well, <coughs> uh, I'd like to. <laughs> I'd like to take your money. I'd like to take everything. And so goes a series of events where Balak tries to get Balaam to do this. And Balaam would like to, but God won't let him. They tried several different times, and it's a very interesting story to, to, to read. 
including the, the time when, when uh, Balaam is riding the, the donkey and comes to a, a narrow part in the road, and there's an angel there with a flaming sword saying, you know, you shall not pass. And he reminds him, you can only say what God puts in your mouth, what God tells you to say. And so the last time Balaam goes and he prays to the Lord, you know, what, what shall I say? And the Lord says, I, I want you to bless Israel. And so after all the hopes and dreams of Balak, the Moab chieftain, that he's going to get finally the Israelites cursed by, and Balaam opens his mouth and blesses Israel. And you can see the, the, the anger brewing in, in Balak. Why? Why is he, is he keep blessing them? Why can't he curse them? And Balaam, knowing exactly why, said, I'll tell you what you can do. I have to bless them now. But if you want to get them out of God's favor, you need to send in your daughters to intermarry with them and bring your idol worship with the daughters. And then eventually we'll get that brew going again, that mixture of Jehovah worship and idol worship and in, in such a, a fashion that they will fall out of favor with God. And so Balak decided to take him up on that. He said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's try that. If we can't curse him, let's mix. And so they mixed, and a plague came on Israel that was only stayed when uh, Phineas rammed a javelin through one of the Israelite men and, and his Moabite woman, and God said, because of the, the heart that Phineas has for, for righteousness and purity, I will stay this plague. But there were 24,000 uh, or more that, that died in this event as God judged again. And so you can see Israel I mean, just constantly battling with idolatry. And now they're on the plains of Moab, and they're getting, two months before they cross the Jordan, they're getting a pep talk, they're getting a, a lesson again, an explanation of the law from Moses. And he's going to try and, and, and help them out here. And so we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 4. Follow along as I read out loud. We're going to start 1 to 9. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord... God of your fathers giveth you. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. Now, that's in reference to the doctrine of Balaam and how the 24,000 fell because those men joined themselves to Baal Peor by bringing in uh, the, the Moab women and intermarrying. That's what he's referring to there. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of nations, which shall hear all these statutes. And say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great? 
Who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon, upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Now listen to this. <clears throat> this key phrase here. Only take heed to thyself. Keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. And here we have a a biblical mandate to think about your children and your grandchildren. How many of you have grandchildren here? Yeah. How many of you have more than one grandchild? How many have more than five grandchildren? More than ten? Still got anyone? Ah, that's pretty good. My mom and dad have 26. Does anyone have more than that? No? That's <laughs> they're doing pretty good, huh? <clears throat> they got their work cut out for them if they're actually going to teach their sons and their sons' sons the commandments of the Lord and to, to keep them focused and not forget what's going on. I got a few more passages to read before we dig in here. Let's skip to verse 15. We're going to read now 15 to 24. Again, you'll see the words, Therefore, take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Listen to this now. Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image. Remember, they just did that. Their parents did that. Like the similitude of any figure and the likeness of male and female, like the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water underneath, lest thou lift thine eyes up into heaven, and when thou seest the sun and moon and stars and all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which thy Lord, thy God hath divided unto all nations under whole heaven. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as ye are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes, and swear that I should not go over Jordan, and that I should not go into that good land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance. But I must die in this land, and I must not go over Jordan. But ye shall go over and possess that good land. Listen again now. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And make you graven images or likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Now, turn over to 6, chapter 6. Just a few more verses to read. Bear with me now. And hopefully you're seeing a pattern here. We're going to read uh, a few at the beginning of 6 here. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God and keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and this verse is, is the summation of the whole Bible. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might, the greatest commandment. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And seven, 
Thou shalt teach diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. 12 to 15. Then beware, lest thou forget. In other words, take heed again. Lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. And listen to this. Ye shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. And then verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God hath commanded you? What are you going to say? What are you going to say when your son and your son's sons, your grandchildren and your children ask you, What mean this Christian life that you're living? What kind of an answer do you have? And now I want just uh, one more section here, about uh, four more verses, five more verses. Chapter 7. This is what they were to do as far as mixing with the Canaanite culture when they were going to cross the Jordan, starting with verse 2. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them from before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give to his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take to thy son. Why? Well, they just did that. They just tried that. That is the doctrine of Balaam, where he mixed idol-worshiping people with the people of God. For they will turn away the son from following me, that they may serve other gods. And so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you. Verse 5, but thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, burn their graven images with fire, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all the people that are on the face of the earth. So, we're to take heed to ourselves and keep our soul diligently. Keep our soul diligently from what? What does the author have in mind here? What is the big deal? What are we keeping our souls from? What are we to watch out for? Idol worship. Idol worship. Hmm. Now, let's try and cross the river of time and culture to our own and see what principles we can take out of this portion of Scripture. God was very concerned that the, his people remained wholly his and not affected by the, the Canaanite culture. Now, we're not talking about maybe the kind of cows that the Canaanites raised or, or, or something like that as opposed to a Jewish cow. We're not talking about all aspects of culture, but we're talking about a portion of culture that he definitely had a problem with. It was a, and that was basically their values, their beliefs, their, their character, and those types of things that he didn't want mixed with the Israelite culture at all. Right now, as we look at our culture, our pop culture, our pop Western culture, we have, we're dominated by a new religion. And it's not, it's not Baal, per se, but it's called humanism. It's the elevation of, of mankind to be the judge of everything. We are putting ourselves in the... In the the seat of, of judgment over all things, and the new idol 
is not a little piece of wood or a piece of silver. The new idol is self in humanism. We are our own God, and we worship ourselves. We worship whatever we want. One of the, the pillars of pop culture that I think is, is great, what does it mean to be in the world but not of the world? The Bible and pop culture. What are we to do with pop culture? 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now listen to this. When you, John is in the New Testament now. He's writing to people who are, just like us, encompassed by an, an ooze of a culture that's wanting to get its par- paralyzing tentacles into them. And he says, love not the world. This is the same thing that Moses is telling, the same warning that Moses is telling the Israelites before they cross into Canaan. Now, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We're not talking about all aspects of the, of the world. We're not talking about creation. We're not talking about a beautiful sunset. Oh, I can't love a beautiful sunset. Oh, that would, be, that would be terrible. No, that's God's original creation. That's good. We're not talking about the things that are in the world like our children. Oh, I can't love my children because they're in the world. No, that's not what we're talking about here. What are we talking about? For all that is in the world... This is what's in the world that we're not to love. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And again, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The part of culture that we have to concern ourselves with is the values and belief. And that is the part that's trying to to paralyze us and and move us. Western pop culture is now the dominant culture in the world. Its influence is a powerful shaper of the generations to come. We can see this through television, movies, news magazines, Internet. How many of you have most of these things? Um, So pop culture, the, the, the... the way that it gets into us is, is different. Now, you live kind of out of the, the main city life here. I don't know if you know that or not. But, but thanks to the ever-present Internet, which is just about as, as ever-present as, as God sometimes, it seems, although that's not true, but uh, we are not immune from pop culture at large, whereas in be- previous years where the communities were more isolated, there was a, a much different... Uh, atmosphere. We're, we're into it up to our eyeballs, no matter what part of the, the country we're in. And so this, this pop culture is, is um, trying to set up an alternate reality for people to, to experience that's against the ways and the character of God. It not only influences how we think and feel about things, it, always, it also influences how we think and feel about thinking and feeling. I don't know if you know this or not, but <coughs> if you're a student of philosophy and of history, there are times in the, in the culture where thinking has been elevated, like the Renaissance, for example, and the period of the Enlightenment. And then, on the heels of that, come times where feelings are elevated, and that's the Romantic period right through today. Right now, feelings are, are God. We just went to a funeral two weekends ago, and I had the privilege of, at a funeral home, a, a relative, she's a 28-year-old Chinese woman, single, and a, a bit of a philosopher on religion, 
and likes to talk about different religious things, would be as unsaved as they come. And she said she was reading a book. It was a book about a philosophy where you roll the dice for every decision. Whether Okay, get up in the morning, you roll the dice. Whether I go to work today, I roll the dice. Do I want to lie to this person about this? I roll the dice. And it's a fatalistic book. I'm telling you right now that when feelings are the driver, you might as well roll the dice. You got about the same chance of making the right decision by doing what your feelings tell you to as rolling the dice. I'm going to give you the, the, first, the first pillar of pop culture, and this is what I've been studying. The effects of pop culture on family are dividing the family based on the pursuit of individuality. Culture is a shared set of values and beliefs. Culture is expressed through our art, our music, our literature, our fashions, our relationships, our institutions. And, and so this is where we come in contact with, with these values and beliefs. The pillars of pop culture, next, these are the main ones. Are all cultures equal in God's eyes? Are, all culture, are certain cultures closer to God? There's this thing called cultural relativism or cultural pluralism that is as being pushed on our kids right now and taught that all cultures are the same. We can't really judge a culture. We can't really judge values and beliefs. Everyone's got their own, and, and it's kind of, kind of good. And Christians put this out there, and they use... I, I was just, this argument actually came out of a, a Christian book that I was reading that was pushing this idea about, well, you know, God was challenging Peter's heart that he, he shouldn't have been so proud about his culture, that the Gentile culture was just as good as the Jewish culture. And I'm like, hmm... Gentile beliefs and values, which is what culture is, is as good as... Now, we need to evaluate culture and see which one is biblical or which ones are more biblical than others. I want to get to this first pillar. Relativism, pillar number one. Relativism is the teaching that knowledge, truth, beauty, and morality exist only in relation to culture. There are no absolutes. This is a huge one. This is... this infects our, our children. It's being pushed on them in, in every form. Relativism teaches that all cultures are morally equal, and it would be pride or foolish to think that one culture could be more right than another. But you know what? And I'm going to have to cut this off with a teaser on, on relativism here. Here's the problem, the bottom line. In fact, I was having a discussion with my students in, in an ethics class last week, and they said, you know what, we, we have our beliefs and, and you have your beliefs, and other people have their beliefs, but as long as we don't judge each other and as long as we're, we're working things out, uh, that should be fine. And I said, do you believe you're right? Well, I think we're, I'm right for me. And then one student says, I wouldn't condemn you for your beliefs. And I said, well... If you're right, and our beliefs are opposed, then, then I'm wrong. Wouldn't you want to contend for what's right? Well, no. not A relativistic person doesn't want to contend for what's right. They just make everything be able to be right. So here's the problem. If anything can be right, is there anything right? What's to distinguish what's right? Relativism teaches that anything can be truth. If anything can be truth, how many of you have seen, and I hate, hesitate to do this, the, the movie The Incredibles? Pastor's seen it. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. Syndrome, 
the protagonist in this movie, wants to get rid of superheroes. And he wants to do it by making everybody super. And he has this little line that, that perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about. He says, because when everyone's super, no one is. When everything is truth, nothing is. When anything can be right or wrong, nothing is. When anything can be beautiful, nothing is. When a word can have any meaning you want it to have, or anything can have any meaning, it's up to you to decide what you want it to mean, nothing has meaning. And so Christians have embraced on a large scale this idea of relativism and are largely making themselves as an institution irrelevant in the process. And so what can we do? Well, we need to, to find out where these things meet the word of God and where they go wrong. I had listed a ton of verses <laughs> about truth and the source of truth, that it is absolute. I have listed, if we were to go on morals, right and wrong, Right and wrong, good and evil occur in the scriptures many times right in the same verse, that there is a right and wrong. Beauty, God calls himself beautiful and he calls creation beautiful. He calls uh, the feet of the evangelist beautiful. He calls uh, certain things. But the fact that God can call something beautiful means that there is an opposite and not everything is beautiful. There, and so we have a standard for, for those things. And so kind of summing up, now, keep your soul diligently. You're an image bearer. You're an image bearer, and maybe the only image of God that some people in this lifetime on this earth will ever see. With particular attention to your sons and your son's sons, your children and your grandchildren, will you be the person who has floating in the lazy river of pop culture in the raft and just wherever it ends up, you end up. Are you the person who's swimming in the, the ocean current on the beach and you're, you're going through life and next thing you do, you look up to the beach and you see all your stuff has moved way up the beach and you think, oh, how'd that happen? And so you go back up there and then you play in the water and next thing you know, all your stuff has moved up the beach again. There's a, a pool and, and a, a current. And I've given you one of those pillars of pop culture. The others, real quick, <coughs> are amusement. Our culture wants us to amuse ourselves to death. Commercialism. What's right is what sells. And you're going to see that tonight at the Super Bowl if you watch that. Um, whatever will sell. The celebration of self and individuality as opposed to family and the larger context of it's, it's all about me. My feelings. Instant gratification. How many of you know that the Bible does not preach instant gratification? The whole life is, a Christian life is delayed gratification. These are the, the, the pillars of pop culture that come in direct opposition to the, to the word of God. And so if we're going to be passing on a heritage, we need to see 
What are our idols as a, as a body of believers? Are we worshiping at the, the altar of, of humanism and the idol of the self? As I looked at these things, boy, they come into my life more often than I would care to admit, and in little ways. And so I believe God's calling us, us all to be aware. And what can we do? Well, we can certainly point out like a prophet any time that we see a message that's, that's contradicting. And we, we need to, um, to embrace the role of being an, an image bearer, made in God's image, to, to give uh, a proper vision to that generation.